Well, today we are in part four of five parts, and we've gone pretty quickly through the second letter to Timothy that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And the reason that's significant is the last recorded words of the great Apostle Paul. And today we are at some of the most incredible, poignant, powerful words ever written by such an influential leader not named Jesus. And I'll just read through these, and then we're just going to apply it to where we are in our station of life. Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Herald the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, young Timothy, you keep your head Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I can't wait to pull this YouTube video out in heaven and when these words poured forth from the, the great mind of the great apostle. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. At every Roman meal, the meal would end with a drink of sacrifice poured out. And Paul's echoing that practice. He says, the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. These are amazing words, right? I mean, these are just, as you envision in a cold, damp Roman cell, chained to a guard, reciting these words to Luke, the physician, as we will learn next week. Luke was faithful to his friend. He says, I want you to hear my final words, Timothy. You know, because life is best lived backwards, but it has to be lived forwards, life is best lived backwards, it does us well sometimes to hear words from people who, who are at their final moment where truth really emerges. I think there are really four things, three things, but four things that Timothy is being told by Paul. He's saying, first of all, verse one, always live with the end in mind, Timothy, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, the one who is going to judge everyone. Remember, Timothy, when you're tempted to bail on faith in Christ and you're calling, remember, you're going to stand before him someday. You're going to stand before him Make your decisions with the end in mind. 
I think he's also telling him, do the job you've been called to do, whether it's popular or not. That little phrase, in season and out of season, is loaded with meaning because it, does, it means do it when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, and do it when it's popular and when it's not popular. One of the interesting things about so America, the, the religion of America, this is all of you on the left and all of you on the right share this in common. The religion, the God of America is autonomy. It is freedom. It is, it, which is almost, any God is usually a good thing is taken to an extreme. So autonomy. And, and Timothy is being told by Paul, listen, listen, listen. In, in, a, in a culture that wants freedom more than anything else. They don't, anybody, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be popular. Because the very essence of our gospel is this. We're not marbles who go in our different directions in the faith. In the faith, we're, we're grapes, and we're going to be crushed together. And it's the collective with the great cloud of witnesses that makes us the body of Christ. It's not going to be popular, Timothy. It's not going to be popular. Do it when it's not popular and when it is popular. And then he's also telling him, show composure in every situation. Uh, keep your head in all situations. Take the long view. Don't panic. Don't want, let one day define how you look at all of life. This is the number one most underestimated characteristic of effective leaders is composure. When everybody else is freaking out, you keep your head. Endure hardship. Keep doing the work. Keep discharging all your duties. Why? It's because when everybody else is saying the market's going down, let's bail on this blue chip of the gospel of Christ, you keep your head. You keep your head. You have the long view. You have the infinite game in mind. And this is rare. This is rare. In a culture, I have friends here who are in, their, their life is in the markets. And how often they have to talk people off of ledges when that, that blue chip stock goes down. Why? Because if you take the long view, it's a whole different game. And he's telling Timothy this, take the long view of life. When it comes to your high callings of marriage and church and family and ethics and sexuality, etc. When it comes to those things, take the long view, not the boom, immediate view. And then look at this, look at this. I think, I think he comes back to number four, which is well, what, what is this also? It's number one. Timothy, I'm coming back to this. Always live with the end in mind. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come, and I'm closely going to be standing in his presence. And he comes right back to that and says, the defining reality of our faithfulness is do we live with the end in mind? He comes right back to that. Now, I, I, I think that you know, these kinds of words, I don't know if you guys find these as, as inspirational as I do, but I find these so inspiring because I think all of life is about endurance. Even love, the, the, the crown characteristic of life, it requires endurance. It requires perseverance. It requires faithfulness. It requires doing what you should do whether you feel like it or not. And so this concept is just utterly fascinating to me of the real crown of righteousness, the way James put it, those who will be crowned with the essence of life are those who last, those who endure in those noble callings. 
I'm talking to those of you who are staying sexually pure right now, even when your culture and your hormones are crying out for immediate satisfaction. I'm crying out to you in marriage right now who are in a tough season. But you're doing the work. I'm calling out to those of you who your church isn't doing it for you. It's just not getting it done. But you're faithful. Because you're not in it for the short game, you're in it for the long game. I mean, I could go on and on here about these high callings every single person eventually confronts in their life. And if you have the character quality of grit, perseverance, faithfulness, I will tell you this with absolute assurance, you won't lose in the long game. I'm guaranteeing you victory in the long game. Uh, one of my favorite heroes that I love to read everything I can about is Winston Churchill. Remember these words? We will fight on the seas and the oceans. We will fight with growing confidence, growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the landing grounds. We will fight in the fields and in the streets. We will fight in the hills. And know this, we will never, ever surrender. Those were the worst words the ears of Adolf Hitler ever heard in his whole life. Why? Because you can't beat the person, the, the church, the entity, the country that just won't quit. If you're in business and you're, you have a competitor and you know the leader of that competitor has grit and she is not getting out of the game because it's hard. She's not getting out of the game because right now her product is not hitting the market the way it is. The investors think it should be hitting right now. But she's in it for the long game. She's in it because, you know what? I just believe in this product, and I am not giving in. You, you have those moments where you go, oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. She's not going away, is she? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how this character quality that is so lacking in this country happens to be the step to what makes life, life. To what makes love, love. And, and so when we start talking about these things, I mean, I start talking in terms of that get real, that real I get real excited because, because of this. When I think of this subject matter, here's how I put it. Is I think there are three types of people around this subject matter today. There are blasters, masters, and lasters. And blasters, masters, and lasters, those are all good things. No, not a, the, the, I, want, I want to make this very clear. The first two are absolutely positive. But there's some real important things to understand about the different game that each of these is playing. For example, blasters, yep, they leave an impact. They're the people who are charismatic and audacious and bodacious. They always change a room when they walk into it. You never forget meeting a blaster. They're usually people persons. You love their charisma and you go, man, that person knows how to lead a group. And that's good. That's good. But it's not the best. Because the next step are what I would call masters. And they are skilled pros. They impress you. They're really good at what they do. They have high competency. They wow you with their acuities and talents that have an element of the best because you probably don't get to a high level of acuity and talent without what we're about to see. And so that's good. But we've also known people who are masters at things, but their character didn't run so deep because they lacked what lasters have. 
People who last, and in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talked about the level five leader being this way, is they often aren't a blaster. Like, they're not going to wow you with their presence. Uh, They may not be a master. They may not be the best at what they do. But what you can count on with the last year is they'll never quit a noble calling simply because it's hard or because it's not succeeding right now, or because it's not popular, or because it doesn't play much, because lasters are playing the infinite game. They are playing the character game, not the results game. And this goes contrary to especially a market-driven world where results now are what mattered. This is a different game. This is why Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, just resonated with so many people. Why? It's because, it's because at our core we know that true crown of life, like a person who you look at them and they go, man, they got life. They got real life. It comes to those who have lasting character. In the character game, in the infinite game, perseverance makes defeat impossible because the character in the infinite games are predominantly about not flash but faithfulness. Not mastering and blastering your your reality, but lasting and leaving a legacy of faithfulness. Just ask yourself, friends, in the last 10 years of your life, 20 years of your life, what is it you wish you had never quit? Because I'll bet a lot of us in this room have those things, ah, I wish I'd have never quit that. And when you Reflect on those things that you wish you'd never quit. You start building into your character, oh, next time, I'm not going to. I I took two piano lessons as a kid, and then I quit. Like, this is not for me. But that was a short game, because I wish I'd have stuck with that. I think I'd have wowed you with my piano skills as a master of piano someday if I'd have done that. Could you imagine if I could spin a basketball on one hand and play piano on the other, how impressed you'd be with me? Could you imagine that? But I quit. And we could all fill in the blanks of those things that we know that if we would have just stuck with it, there would have been an essence of reward with that. Let's say that next Easter, because those who run the Ohio State Lottery are sensing a character depletion in the character, the the collective fabric of the character of Ohioans, the Ohio State Lottery decides to say, instead of giving tens of millions of dollars away as a reward for getting the right lottery ticket, we are going to give the complete, fulfilled character trait of perseverance to the winner. Now, what would be a few things from that? The lottery lines would not be as long. Correct? Am I right? Well, let's say next Easter... Herman, the balding store clerk at Walmart, wins the lottery. And Herman is 44 years old, and he is not in great physical condition. His his marriage is really teetering on the brink. He doesn't have a degree that he can fall back on. He is a store clerk at Walmart. Not that there's anything wrong with that, okay? But he wins the lottery. He wins the fully developed character trait of grit, perseverance. 
This winning has guaranteed he will never quit at anything. And initially, when you see him get his winning lotto ticket confirmed, he fakes being happy. Because you know that was what he would do, right? He would fake being happy about this. Of all the lotteries I could win, I had to win the one where there's not a $10 million prize, but the character trait of perseverance. But then let's check back on Herman 10 years later. And we interview Herman. Hey, Herman, how was that, how was that, how was that lottery treated you? Uh, by the way, does the lottery always guarantee people experience the joys of life? What do we know is, generally speaking, the truth? It ruins lives. And the first thing Herman says to you is he says, well, when I, when I won, I faked how happy I was because I wasn't very happy about it. But i got to tell you this. What I realized was winning the character trait of perseverance, I realized that up to that point in my life, I quit at everything when it got hard. And all that lotto winning would have done, if it had been money, would have allowed me to keep quitting. That's what I would have done. I could have just kept on quitting because I had a money answer to everything. Do you know what's happened? He said, I was kind of satisfied just being a regular store clerk at Walmart, but I decided to go to night class, take night classes at Sinclair. It took me three years. It took me three years, but I got my degree in management. And now I'm a store manager at Walmart, which, by the way, if you don't know, is a pretty high-capacity job now. It has a lot of demand on it. It's a big deal to be given that. And financially, the rewards are more than taking care of me and my family. And you know what? I could never get into an exercise routine. I could just never get into it. But now I have grit. I never quit. And I, I initially only lost about a pound a month. And that didn't seem like much. But when you have grit, oh, it's huge. Because in the last 10 years, those, those, that pound a month has added up. And now I'm in incredible physical condition. And my doctor says that I no longer have to take insulin. My marriage was teetering. And whenever there was a conflict, I just quit. I just ran, I got out of the house. I didn't want conflict. But now I've learned through perseverance to stay in it and to talk things through. And my wife and I are now enjoying an immense intimacy that we could have never dreamed of. And oh, by the way, my relationship with God was something where I just wanted someone to just give it to me on a platter. I never wanted to work hard for it. I never wanted to persevere. I bounced from church to church. I bounced from being faithful to not really being faithful. And now I just, I stick it out every day. I have some solitude time. I have some scripture time. I serve a little bit every day out of intentionality. I, I, I'm in mutually support. I've been in part of a group that I would have quit on a long time ago. I see the significant events of life through now the realm of the end in mind. And I got to tell you, best thing that ever happened to me was winning the lottery of perseverance. Huh? Is this not true, friends? It is absolutely true. And I want to say this, for those of you who are being faithful, today is your day. Where I hope you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you, you keep going. That 37-year-old mom out there who's working and taking care of her family, and the last time she was folding clothes, she was wondering to herself, is this really worth it? I see so many people living the good life. 
and next week you'll be folding towels because you're faithful. This day is for you. This day is for you. To be affirmed that what Jesus is looking for is not flashiness, but faithfulness. Now, I need to give a caveat here because I know some of us are sitting here going, oh my gosh, I gave up on my marital vows too easy. I gave up on some of the noble callings, my sexual practices and ethics. I compromised on those too easily. You can't do anything about that, right? Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may never come. You don't have to be faithful the rest of your life. You only have to be faithful today. And when you wake up tomorrow, it's a new day. And you need to hear that. His grace is greater than all of your faithful, faithlessness in the past. All you need to do is understand this, that what fuels faithfulness over the long haul is love. When you see people who cave in on their marital vows, who cave in on the high relational callings of life, I can tell you with absolute certainty of all the things that were going on in their soul, they lacked love. They didn't have the fuel of love. You see, it's love that keeps that guy who's tempted to be unfaithful to his wife. He keeps him faithful because he goes, oh, I love her too much to ever do that to her. Nobody wants to say this, but that's the elephant in the room. This is the truth, friends. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love fuels us. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all die. He died for all, that those who, should, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And that fuel that flows from the cross is, is love. And that love, when it impels, invades the fuel lines of your marriage and your sexual practices and your financial practices and your business practices. This is the fuel that makes people faithful over the long haul. And you'll leave a legacy, maybe not of being a great blaster or master, but I think you'll live the legacy that is the legacy for grandchildren and, and children and husbands and wives and in small groups, it's, it is finished. Here's a neat thing. Here's a really neat thing about this. Are you ready for good news, bad news? You haven't been faithful yet. Because the finish line is death. You're still here. That's the finish line. See, you You've been faithful to this point. But your finish line is this. This is the sermon in the sentence. I want to hear well done from the audience of one. That's the finish line. And Paul is in this cell, and he knows his violent death, and it was a violent death for Christ. It's very imminent. And what he's telling Timothy is, Timothy, I'm about to hear well done from the audience of one. And he says, I've lived my whole life for that. For that. About you. One time, uh, Phil Knight, the founder and C former CEO of Nike, he stood up in a conference, large gathering, 
large gathering, much larger than this one. And he looks at the conference and he goes, okay, anyone who has ever run for exercise, stand up. And almost everyone in this large auditorium stood up. He said, now, those of you who run at least once a week for exercise, stay standing. And a good portion of the, of the assembly sat down. He said, How many, he said, those of you who run at least twice a week for exercise, remain standing. And again, a lot of people sat down, and now there weren't very many people standing. And then he said this. He said, those of you who run at least three times a week for exercise, in the dark, in the cold, when it's raining, when it's snowing, you're all alone, would you remain standing? And nearly everybody sat down, and there was this smattering of people. And he looked out at those people, and he said, the next time it's dark and you're alone, we, we are the person standing under the lamppost cheering you on. For those of you who are faithful, we, we are the cloud of witnesses cheering you on. Amen. Because why? Because you live for those words, I want to hear well done from the audience of one. My whole life, you say, is oriented around those words. And every decision I make flows from those words. Well done. Well done, Paul. Well done, Rahab. Well done, Rachel. Well done, Dave. Well done, Sue. Well done, Dee Dee. From the audience of one. Amen. Um, I have. I, I, I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to decide that there's one group for faithfulness that I really want to honor today. And then my costume for Spooky Brook is going to win the award for the best costume. Because this costume is an homage to this particular entity that I'm about. Just, I could have picked out a zillion entities. But I heard something a few weeks ago where a guy who's both a Christian apologist and he's been in law enforcement his whole life, he said this, and this is so true. He goes, he goes I believe the highest professional calling is law enforcement. And Frank Turek said, why? He goes, because if law enforcement doesn't do its job with honor, the rest of the professions can't do theirs. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I'm going to be Chief Brody today at Spooky Brook. Is that awesome or what? I've wanted to be Chief Brody since 1975. Today I'm going to be Chief Brody. And what I want to do is before we transition to what's coming up, would all of you who have or are serving faithfully in law enforcement, would you please stand so we can thank you on this day of faithfulness for your faithfulness to the highest calling.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you don't do your job, I can't preach, okay? All right? So we, we got all that squared away, and I can't wait to win the award for the best costume. Sorry, Olivia, uh, because I'm probably going to win. We have, um, we have some really, really cool stuff coming up. And who am I today? Who am I, who am I up here? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Oh, that's not what you told me, Kenzie. <laughs> I am who? I am who? I am Sven. Is that, is, is that right? Sven from Frozen. I have no idea who that is, but I'm Sven, okay? <laughs> I have no idea who that is. So, Olivia, tell us what's going to happen here this morning and et cetera, et cetera. So, from noon to 2 o'clock, we have Spooky Brook. Now, Kenzie, what do we have going on at Spooky Brook? Inflatables and food trucks and candy. And what are you most excited for? Candy. <laughs> yeah, no now, surprise there. What, what's your favorite candy? Suckers. Suckers. I think there's <laughs> going to be plenty of suckers out there, but we hope that you join us at for Spooky Brook. It's over on the Reverie side of the building. Come back at noon and make sure when you leave today, leave out the connector because we're still setting up for Spooky Brook and we have our normal exit blocked off, but you have plenty of time to go home and put a costume on or go grab some brunch. But we're going to be dressed up, and we can't wait to see you back here in just a little bit. Thank you, Olivia. And, and that connector is the southwest part of our exit, so the south southern westernmost part of our property. That's where you go out. You'll actually go through Dayton Christian. We are so glad you could be with us today. Be faithful unto death, and you'll receive the crown of life. Amen? Amen. We'll see you next week for the last part of the series.